I invite you to turn in your copy of God's Word to Matthew chapter 15. Matthew chapter 15 as we continue our life-changing look at Jesus. If you're wondering why we're not turning to Mark chapter 7, that's because Matthew 15 and Mark 7, they cover the same events. But this morning we find in Matthew 15, Matthew including a few details that Mark does not. And so we turn to Matthew 15 and the passage before us will be verses 21 to 28. Matthew 15, 21 to 28. Let's pray and then I'll read God's word for us. Oh, the treasury of Christ, as we've just sang about. Lord, your word, it is a treasury of Christ. We thank you in advance for the way that you're going to show us Jesus. Father, you minister to us in every way that we need. Lord, this morning's passage, it's a, it's a tough one as we think about this woman and what she's going through and what happens with Jesus and how he interacts with her. Lord, it's so easy for us to come to you and have our preconceived ideas of what you're like. Today, you just might smash those. So, Lord, I pray for grace. Pray for eyes of faith that can see and behold the beauty of Jesus and just what precisely he reveals of himself in this text. Glorify your name, O Lord. Feed your sheep. Amen. Well, here's the text beginning in verse 21. And Jesus went away from there and withdrew to the district of Tyre and Sidon. And behold, a Canaanite woman from that region came out and was crying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely oppressed by a demon. But he did not answer her a word. And his disciples came and begged him, saying, Send her away, for she is crying out after us. He answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. But she came and knelt before him, saying, Lord, help me. And he answered, It is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. She said, Yes, Lord, even, yet even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from the master's table. Then Jesus answered her, O woman, Great is your faith. Be it done for you as you desire. And her daughter was healed instantly. You ever uh, been in the middle of a gut wrenching trial? Dark, dark days. Desperate for God to help you? 
And so you go to him and you cry to him over and over and over. But no matter how hard you try and how many times you cry out, he doesn't answer. He doesn't do anything. That's what this woman is experiencing. First part of this text. This woman, she uh, she came out. She sought Jesus. Who knows how far she's traveled? What arrangements she's had to make? What hoops she's had to jump through to get to him? She finally finds Jesus and. She starts crying out to him over and over again. Have mercy, O Lord, son of David, my daughter. She is severely oppressed by a demon. But he did not answer her a word. And when he does eventually answer her, what does he say? He says, it's not right to take the children's bread and give it to the dogs. Where's the compassion? Jesus Where's the love? Where's the help? What do you do when Jesus doesn't answer your prayers? What do you do when he says it's not right to give the children's bread to the dog? Have you ever felt as if God ignores you when you cry out to him? Like God is a, like he's blessing other people, answering their prayers and healing their loved ones, fixing their problems, while you seem to be getting the attention of a dog chained in the backyard. Guess what? According to this text, you're not alone. You're not the only one. Oh Lord, have mercy on me. Help me. Silence. Friend, the silence is over. God wants to speak to you this morning. He wants to minister to you from this text. So let's listen closely as we
dive in. Verse 21. Jesus went away from there and withdrew to the district of Tyre and Sidon. Yeah, we've seen Jesus lately in Capernaum, his hometown, the place where he moved when he started his ministry. Remember, he's living at Peter's house, crashing on his couch. Well, he, he leaves Capernaum in this text, and he walks at least 50 miles north out of Israel and into what is modern-day Lebanon. I know we don't often think of Jesus being in Lebanon, but that's where we find him this morning. Tyre and Sidon, they're beach towns in Lebanon, port cities on the Mediterranean Sea, they're They're still there today. How long was Jesus up there in in Lebanon? We don't know, but some scholars think just based on the language that we find in Mark and Matthew that he was up there a few months, spent a decent amount of time up there. Why is he there? I can't say this for sure, but there is a very strong conjecture that he moved up to Lebanon for a while because things were getting so hot, volatile in Israel. We just left the interaction that Jesus had with the scribes and the Pharisees where he calls them hypocrites, confronts them for their whole way of life. So they're getting a little hot and bothered. They're starting to think that They need to get rid of this guy. He's undermining their authority. How can we trap him? How can we arrest him? How can we kill him? But Jesus, he's he's on to them and their wicked ways. He knows what's inside of a man. And he's not about to let them kill him a day before it's appointed. I want you to remember, as we've been going through the life of Christ, I told you this a couple weeks ago, we're now into the last year of Jesus' life. And he knows, in his divinity, he knows he needs to make it till Passover, the coming Passover. That way he can fulfill prophecies and all those Old Testament pictures of him being the Passover lamb, the lamb of God. He can come true when he's killed. He's not going to make it to Passover if the scribes and the Pharisees kill him before that. And so a big reason why I think that Jesus is up in Lebanon is to escape the religious leaders of Israel and their murderous plans. He's hiding out. He's not there in Lebanon, apparently, to help Canaanite women and heal their kids. At least he's certainly not seeking those opportunities out, as we find in this morning's text. Look at verse 42. And behold, a Canaanite A Canaanite woman from that region came out and was crying. Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. 
My daughter is severely oppressed by a demon. Now the fact that this woman is a Canaanite is a important detail. You guys remember the Jews, they've got a history with the Canaanites. You, you do remember that before Israel lived in Israel, before the Jews lived in Israel, the promised land, you remember who lived there, don't you? The Canaanites, the people they had to drive out. As a matter of fact, the Canaanites, they're a people group who Yahweh, the Lord, had ordered the Jews to wipe out and destroy. In Exodus 34, verses 10 through 14, we read that the Lord replied to Moses, Listen, I'm making a covenant with you in the presence of all your people. I will perform miracles that have never been performed anywhere in all of earth or in any nation. And all the people around you will see the power of the Lord, the awesome power I will display for you. But listen carefully to everything I command you today. Then I'll go before you and drive out, guess who? The Canaanites, among others, but the Canaanites. And then he goes on to say, be very careful never to make a treaty with the people who live in the land where you are going. If you do, you will follow their evil ways and be trapped. Instead, you must break down their pagan altars, smash their sacred pillars, and cut down their Asherah poles. You must worship no other gods for the Lord who is whose very name is Jealous, is a God who is jealous about his relationship with you. Just this past Friday, if you're reading through Abide, we read in Deuteronomy chapter 7, when the Lord your God gives them, who's the them? The Canaanites. When the Lord your God gives the Canaanites over to you and defeat them, then you must Devote them to complete destruction. You shall make no covenant with them and show no mercy to them. You shall not intermarry with them, for they would turn you, your families, away from following me to serve other gods. Then the anger of the Lord would be kindled against you, and he would destroy you. Quickly. Behold a Canaanite woman came to Jesus. You see, this brings some important context to this interaction between Jesus and the Canaanite woman. But here's the thing. This Canaanite woman, she's different. She's not running down to the pagan temple to offer pagan sacrifices to the pagan gods. No. Based on what she says here, this Canaanite woman is a believer. She says, have mercy on me. Look, that's, that's the cry of the sinner. That's not, that's not the cry of the 
proud Pharisee that says, thank God I'm not like that man, a sinner. No, that's the cry of a sinner saying, God, have mercy. The cry of the humble. She's not there saying, look, Jesus, I've been a really good person. Jesus, if you could do this for me, well, I, t- I promise I'll do that for you. That's not her approach at all. She's looking for unmerited help. She continues, have mercy on me, oh Lord. You know how many times in looking at the life of Jesus, we've seen people call him Lord? You could count it on one hand. Does this woman believe that Jesus is Lord? She's different. She's special. She's unique. And next she calls him the son of David. That's a messianic title. That's the Jewish equivalent to calling Jesus Savior. She's crying out to Jesus, her Lord, her Savior, asking him to have mercy on her because she's desperate and she knows of no other place to turn than him. I've been there. I bet you have too. Why is she so desperate? Because her daughter is severely oppressed by a demon. Mom, can you imagine your precious little girl severely oppressed by a demon? We're not told how Her daughter's being oppressed, but it's bad. The text says it's severe. No one has been able to help. Nothing's worked. Dad isn't around. Let's give him the benefit of the doubt. Maybe he's back at home trying to subdue his daughter. But mom's here. She's traveled alone desperate to help her little girl. The ESV says that mom is crying out, Lord, have mercy. In the Greek, it tells us she's yelling. She's yelling over and over. This poor, poor woman. Put yourself into the scene. You're in the crowd. Jesus is, he's right there. And this poor mom crying out, hurting your ears, it's so loud. She's standing right here. Here you are. 
And so your heart, it's, it's moved with compassion. It's, it's moved with heartache for this, for this poor mom. Your soul is stirred by her. And you're just, you're, just, you're just waiting for Jesus to do something. Do something, Jesus. And what's he do? Nothing. But he did not answer her a word. Let that sink in. We're too quick when these sorts of stories arise in the Bible to try to like run to the happy ending at the end. He doesn't even say a word. What? His disciples come and begged him. What a scene. Beg him, saying, send her away, for, for she's crying out after us. How many times do we see the disciples begging Jesus to do something? Not often. So now, not only is she asking the Lord to do something about her daughter, other believers have joined the prayer meeting asking him to do something for her. Jesus, just, can you give her what she wants? You've healed hundreds of people, thousands of people. Jesus, we've never seen you turn anyone away. She's come to us looking for help, but Jesus, we all know you're the one that needs to do something here. How about you just show her some mercy, heal her daughter, and perhaps she'll quiet down. Finally, Jesus speaks. Verse 24. He answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. I'm going to say something that uh, it's hard to hear. It's hard to hear for us, especially if we, uh, if we have our own preconceived ideas about why God exists, why he came. You see, Jesus did not come to planet Earth to take away all our problems. Not even our most, at least what we think, severe problems. His purpose as he walked among, among us was not to heal all of the Canaanites or even this woman's daughter. 
or my loved ones or yours. He came to die. He came to live a perfect life and to give his life as a ransom for his kidnapped family to rescue them. He came to save lost sheep by sacrificing his own perfect life for them. And those sheep in this passage are called the house of Israel, the people of God, his people. It's, it's, it's not the demon-possessed little girls aren't important because they are. But Jesus saving his people, not just, when I say the, the phrase his people, I'm not just talking about the Jews back then, which we might be tempted to think about when we, when we hear that phrase, the household of Israel. What, it, the, what is it called? The house of Israel. That is simply a reference to the people of God. And we know that the cross opens wide the doors to God's house. It's open so wide that Jesus will learn later, purchases people from every tribe, every tongue, every nation. That's why we get to be a part of the house of Israel, God's house, his family. But listen to me closely. He's telling us that he came to save his people. It's his ultimate purpose. That's huge. And could it be, listen to me now, church, could it be that if Jesus starts a huge healing ministry down in Tyre, up in Tyre, in Sidon, much like he did down in Galilee, that that could somehow prohibit him or interfered with him ultimately doing God's plan. He's already made everybody mad down in Israel because he's healing everybody and he's pretending, not pretending, they think he's pretending to be the son of God. What's gonna happen when he goes up to Lebanon and does the same thing? Could it be that in Jesus telling this woman no by remaining silent, it was because of his commitment to fulfilling the Father's plan. You see, friend, sometimes God has to tell us no. Sometimes God remains silent. That is not because he doesn't love you. It's because he loves you.
And he knows better than anyone what is best. And he knows when it is best to answer our desperate pleas for help. And he knows when it's best not to. Even as hard as that is for us. Verse 25, but she came and knelt before him saying, Lord, help me. And he answered, it is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. Church, Jesus is not calling her a dog. As the author of wisdom, Jesus answers her with a proverb teaching her that he must Stay on plan. He must keep his father's priorities. He must stay on the father's plan to save his children, and he must not waver. It's not right. It's not right for loving parents to starve their children to feed the pets, no matter how hungry the pets might be. The children must come first. And in the same way, it is not right. It is not right for Jesus to abandon the Father's plan to rescue the people of God, the lost sheep of Israel, to start a healing ministry in Lebanon. That's not why he's there. Church, Jesus, Jesus is not a racist. He is not being sexist to this woman. He's not, as I've already said, he's not calling her a dog. He's using a proverb to explain to her that he must stay on task. And his task his calling, his marching orders from the Father is not to be a global faith healer, but the Lamb of God who would be sacrificed on a cross in order to pay for the sins of his people. It's not right for me to forsake my mission to do something else, even a good thing. Church, feeding the dogs is a good thing. Don't forget, Jesus tells us that his eyes, even on the sparrow, and now this woman. I love this woman. She responds to Jesus as an intelligent, quick, loving, compassionate mom. Verse 27, yes, Lord, yet even the dogs 
eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. Her humility, her wisdom, but most importantly, and don't miss this, her faith is what comes oozing out of her when she squeezed under this trial. Yes, Lord, but I know that even you take care of the dogs. She argues, she argues Lord, you can accomplish your ultimate plan while sending my precious daughter a healing, gracious crumb from your table. Then Jesus answered her, O woman, great is your faith. Be it done for you as you desire. And her daughter was healed instantly. What a beautiful picture of what happens as Jesus responds to faith. Now I need to be really careful here and so do you because this is not some sort of promise to us that if, if we have just enough faith, if we rub the genie of Jesus in just the right way, if we use the right words and call him the right things, well then, well then Jesus will heal my family, my loved one. That's not what Jesus is getting at here, like the faith healers would want you to believe. But at the same time, this is certainly an invitation to believe that he can. He can. But you need to know that sometimes even when we ask, he says no. He remains quiet. There's a, another story in the Bible about a person being treated worse than a dog. Forsaken like a dog. A dog tied up out back and forgotten. The man, he cried out to God, and yet God remained silent. He didn't answer him a word. In this story, there are three men nailed to crosses, their bodies awkwardly and unnaturally hanging from wood. Like a dog chained up, these men could not escape. 
Jesus, of course, is the man hanging in the middle. It's now strangely dark for the middle of the day. Nighttime. The crowds that had gathered earlier in the day, they're now fairly disinterested. The best part of the show, the part that came for, is over. Now there's just three beaten men, eerily laboring to breathe. We find ourselves looking up in horror, bewilderment. No one's taunting Jesus anymore, no more jokes, no more mocking. We just stare. We watch. It's the very God who breathed life into the world suffocates. That's when he screams. He screams like the woman crying out to God in our text. And his scream cuts through the air like only a mother's could, desperate to bring healing to her kids. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? You see, church, Jesus knows what it's like when God doesn't answer. Jesus knows what it's like to cry out to God and be met with silence. When God chooses instead to stay on plan. A few moments later, Jesus says, it is finished. And he breathed his last. Thank God, Jesus stayed on. Mission. Thank God. He continued to entrust his soul to his father, even when God was silent. May we take solemn, sober, Comfort that God is resilient enough, wise enough, loving enough to sometimes remain 
silent. This is your life-changing look today at Jesus. The one who is better than everything in every way. Let's pray. God, once again, the words of Hebrews 4, they scream at me. We do not have a high priest who's unable to sympathize with us. Jesus has been through it all. And the fact that he cried out to you, Lord, even as this woman cried out to you, it was met with silence. Oh, God, brings me such comfort to know what I feel to be faithful in those moments. Oh God, thank you for Christ. And so now, Lord, we want to accept your invitation to, to draw near to you with confidence to your throne of grace Oh God, that we might receive, that you might give us the mercy and the help that we need. The help that we need, not the help that we ask for. Oh God, continue to give us what we need, even silence. Amen.